You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit tvcresources.net. Good morning, church. Try again. Good morning, church. (laughs) Okay. Happy Mother's Day. My name is Heather Berg. I am your Connections Administrative Assistant. So if you have not gotten an email from me, you will be getting one at some point in the future. You're welcome. Uh, Our scripture today is from Acts 1, 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Heather. Hey, good morning. We doing well? All right, let's dive in. Uh, Acts 1. Uh, I'm just going to walk through uh, this passage. Uh, missed you the last couple of weeks. I thought, once again, Mason King, goodness sakes. Uh, and then Steve last week I thought was just incredible. I don't have any pictures like that to show you. A snake never tried to eat me. Uh, I was never kind of Disneyland on a different continent. Uh, but, but what an incredible. I actually just want to piggyback on the things that Steve was preaching last week. So uh, Lauren and I, I, I don't... I think I've mentioned this before. I'm finishing my master's because why wouldn't I do that as a 50-year-old man with nothing to prove? Uh, And and so uh, part of finishing my master's required me to do this terrible New Testament class where we had to fly to Rome and then Athens and then on into Israel. So that's what I was doing uh, the last couple of weeks. And and it was a profoundly powerful experience for Lauren and I simply because like the way Jesus came and captivated us and captured us was this way. And and so we went backwards, right? Like we landed in Rome and and we kind of got to see kind of how Christianity hit there and and what it did and how it's read. And then we went to Athens and saw the same thing. And then we ended up in Israel. And when we were in Athens, uh, we went and saw uh, Mars Hill. If you know uh, your Bible, the sermon at Mars Hill is one of the more famous sermons in the Bible. In that sermon, the apostle Paul challenges both the Stoics and the Epicurean philosophers with the good news of the gospel. He says, hey, I see that you're religious in every way. In fact, I even saw an idol to the unknown God. Well, what you know in part, let me explain. And then he launches in to this beautifully contextualized gospel message for those who are in Athens, and actually many actually believe in Athens and become followers of Jesus Christ. So we're on Mars Hill, and it's just like a rock outcropping, but you're saying like you're seeing all these ancient ruins and temples. In fact, right where you are, the Parthenon is right there, like Mars Hill, Parthenon. It's, I mean, you could throw a rock and hit it if you're like Uncle Rico could throw the ball over the mountains, right? Uh, and so we're sitting there on Mars Hill, me, me in the class, there's 32 of us because everyone's spouse said, I'm coming to that trip, right? Like nobody was like, oh, the Houston one, but... They wanted this one. And so LC, my, my bride was like, I'll be in that suitcase. I'm going. Yeah, I'm going or you're not, you know? And, and so we were there on Mars Hill, the prophet giving his lecture, and then he gave us space. Praise God for space. And so I've got my journal and I'm sitting on Mars Hill and I'm just trying to drink it in. 
just try to get my mind around that moment in that place, how that led to this, that led to this, that led to this. And I, I was just, my brain was, you know, a million miles an hour and then it was time to go. Uh, and so Lauren and I got back on our bus and we went back to our hotel. Um, dinner that night was late. We were jet lagged out of our minds. And so it was kind of like my, my stomach thinks it's time to eat. So we did a pre-meal meal. I don't know if you've ever done that before. Uh, Athens is a great place to do that. You just, that just Greece is a great place to do that, right? So we got some hummus and cucumbers and things like that. And we're on the roof of our hotel, right? Parthenon right there, Athens there. And Kevin Queen, uh, who's a pastor at a church in Nashville, uh, shows up and, and he's, um, man, he's, he's getting a little pre-meal meal himself and he's just smiling, like goofy smiling. And then he comes over and he starts to tell us the story of meeting a guy on Mars Hill who was a Muslim, secular Muslim from Tunisia and he was going to go have dinner with him. And so like, I'm like, just the two of you. Yeah, he's got this little place that, that he's a little Greek. I was like, do you watch movies? Like, have you, like, what did you watch on the plane? Like, in what world is I met a guy from Tunisia, like, and talked to him for two minutes, and now I'm going to meet him for dinner. I'm going to leave the safety of the group. I'm just going to go by myself and meet this stranger for dinner. So I'm like, bro, I don't, like, do you have a, can we track you? Can you, like, make sure you call us? But I, brother, I don't, I don't want to, like, send out a party to try to find you in Greece? Well, they'll say, you're not a big dude. They'll sell you, bro. They'll, they'll snatch you up and man, you will, right? And, and then he, he left and, and he went to have dinner with Robbie from Tunisia. Um, so he, he, Kevin's story was that he's, he's on Mars Hill. He's doing what I was doing. He was thinking and writing and considering. And he, to, this is the way he would tell it. He there was this young man behind him who had his headphones on. Now, headphones is the universal I'm all right, isn't it? Like somebody wearing their headphones, they're like, hey, tap me on the shoulder and talk to me. Uh, headphones are the universal, I'm doing just fine. You do what you're doing and we're all gonna, right? That, that's what it is. So he's listening to his headphones. And, and Kevin said he began to feel the love of God for this man. And he wanted to talk to him. But he didn't know how to do it. I mean, because headphones, universal sign. Like nobody's wearing headphones and then wants you to tap them on the shoulder. So he's like, how do I? So he's praying, Lord, give me an in with this man and nothing because now it's time to go. And, and if you don't know, even as a grown man, you can get in trouble for being late to class. And, and so we, we've got to go. And, and so uh, he, he, he gets out a piece of gum and, and he, he's chewing a piece of gum and, and he, he zips up his bag and then he, he heads to go. And, and Robbie, our guy from Tunisia, is like, hey, your name tag. And, and he offers him, Ke Kevin had left his name tag on the rock and, and Robbie had offered him his name tag. And so uh, he, he starts up a conversation with Robbie. He's like, hey, what do you, are, are you like a tourist? He's like, no, 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 I'm, I live here. I'm originally from Tunisia. I come up here three times a week or so to, to just kind of consider. I think it's important for you to have kind of a philosophy of your life, the purpose for why you exist. And I come here to think about that. And, and, and he's like, well, what are you doing here? And Kevin's like, well, I'm a, with a group of Christian pastors. We're kind of tracing the New Testament. Testament, so I'm here for that. And, and that's when Robbie kind of shares that, that he didn't really believe in that because he can kind of see the brokenness of the world and it doesn't make sense that, that there would be a God in the kind of brokenness that he's seen 
to which Kevin just quickly agreed and said, oh, I absolutely agree, which is why I love Jesus so much, because he comes full of grace and truth. He is merciful and just so that whatever evil you see will ultimately be handled in the right, just judgment of God in Christ. But mercy will be handed to, and it kind of blew Robbie's mind. And, and then that, that was it. Then we had to go. And so they exchanged phone numbers and then they, they start texting each other. And then now we're back in media res. Now we're back to the story where my friend Kevin is just getting in an Uber or something, just going to the middle of nowhere to have dinner with Robbie. And so he's having dinner with Robbie and, and, and he just, Kevin's just kind of an all in guy. And, and so he just immediately starts with Genesis and starts walking Robbie through the story. Right? This is the fall. This is the covenant. This is the promise. These are the prophets. These are. And when he gets to John 8, the woman caught in adultery, Robbie says, Oh, Mary Magdalene. And, and Kevin's like, No, but oh, how do you know about Mary Magdalene? And so then Robbie gives the backstory that as a kid in Tunisia, there was an Egyptian Coptic commercial or show that he caught a glimpse of that said, Hey, if you want a Bible, we'll bring one to you. And so he like dude was shady, right? Not the kind of shady. My kids were shady. Like, well, I got to find a Bible. Right. But, uh, they like go and, and like kind of dials this number and somebody drove 200 kilometers and brought him a Bible in Arabic. And so he grows up hiding the Bible and reading it so that he remembers Mary Magdalene. And, and as, um, as Kevin finishes telling the story of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and the establishment of justice and righteousness, Kevin asked Robbie, is there anything that would keep you from surrendering to your life to Jesus? To which Robbie said, yeah, a lot. And, and so Kevin just pulled the thread. Like, like what is stopping you? He's like, well, I have, I'd, have to, I'd have to say goodbye to the whole, my whole way of life. And, and Kevin's like, mm, that's it. That's exactly, okay, you're hearing me, good. Yes, you would. But the Holy Spirit will give you a new heart, will make you new, give you new desires, and therefore a new life. And so in a Greek cafe somewhere in Athens, a boy from Georgia pastoring in Tennessee who dropped his name tag and ran into a secular Muslim from Tunisia both with tears streaming down their faces. Ask for Jesus to save and heal. And that day, my boy Robbie, who you and I will one day meet face to face in glory, surrendered his life to Jesus. And he, he, uh, Kevin says that, you know, when he looked up that that Robbie all of a sudden was like, you know, kind of looking, he's like, hey, what, what, are you feeling something? He's like, I just feel like everything's new. And, and he was like, everything is new. And then now he wants to, like, he wants to bring Robbie to meet all, all these kind of, you know, uh, boys from the U.S. and, and to tell the, the tale. And so as they're, as, as Kevin's leading Robbie back to us, they get caught in, I don't know how much you know about Eastern Orthodox. This year, Easter was a week later for the Eastern Orthodox Church than it was for us. So they get caught in a procession, a Good Friday parade down the streets of Athens while uh, Kevin is bringing Robbie to tell us of his conversion that has its roots in some Egyptian Coptic 
Christian running an underground op to give him a Bible in Arabic when he was a little boy. And so Robbie uh, got to come across uh, another one of our guys named Ben, and he just tells the tale. Just, I, I, here's what I just did. Here's what I'm feeling. We're trying to find him a church over there uh, right now. And I was just struck at how serious God is about saving men and women. Like seriously, this guy three times a week is going up on Mars Hill, which is like ground zero, philosophical ground zero to try to make sense of his life. To try to get to the bottom of why am I here? And, and he, run, he runs into a pastor from Tennessee, born in Georgia. Now, I, I think maybe the reason that story struck me in, in my deep place, because I was Robbie at one point. Uh, somebody came and found me. God, God sent someone into my life to snatch me out of my blindness, to, to call me into the only story there actually is. And so here's, here's what I want to do. I want us to look at this passage and here's what I'm trying to convince you of. The only story that exists is the creator God redeeming and ransoming and reconciling to himself men and women from all over the world. There is no other tale. There is no other story that is not a subplot to that reality. It's why you're here. It's why I'm here. It's why you work where you work. It's why you have the money you have. It's why God's given you the gifts that you've been given because God is redeeming, renewing, and restoring among every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth. And the crazy thing is we're caught up in the middle of it. So, so let's look at this passage. So when they had come together, that's the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus. This is after the resurrection, before the ascension. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will, it you, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this is a loaded question. I mean, I wish this sermon could be an hour and a half so I could just unpack why they're asking this question. Right, The history involved in this question, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel, is caught all the way back up to creation. So God creates everything that is. He creates man and woman, male and female. He creates them in his image. He creates them. And he gives them the cultural mandate, fill the earth, subdue it, be my viceroys, show the beauty and majesty of my glory by ordering and building all over the world what you see here in the garden. And we know that little happy bit of human history lasts all of two chapters. In Genesis 3, sin enters the cosmos and fractures all of it. And at that moment, human depravity begins to spin out of control. It gets so dark, so violent, so perverse that God floods the earth and begins anew with the Noahic covenant where he's like, I won't do that again. And then that leads us to Abram, Abraham, father Abraham, the one with many sons, many sons had fathers, Abraham, you're one of them. So let's just praise the Lord. You hear my church kids giggling. You hear those who are new to church confused. It's all happening right now. Now. God comes to Abram, Genesis 12, and says, 
I am going to make you a great nation. And through that nation, all families on the earth will be blessed. He re-ups that covenant in Genesis 18. Says the same thing. Your descendants, more than the stars in the sky, more than the sands that are on the sea, and the entire earth, all nations, peoples, ethnos, will be blessed through this line. And, And we just follow the story. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Then the the people of Israel are in Egypt. They grow mighty to where the Egyptians hate them. And then God delivers them out of slavery. And then we start to see God's plan take shape in Exodus 17. After they're brought out of captivity, here's what he says. You will be for me a kingdom of priests so that the the nations, the, the world might know my wisdom and glory. He gives them the law and he puts them geographically right in the middle of the ancient world so that the superpowers of the day could see the wisdom of God made visible in his people. But like now, his people are pretty bad at staying true to him. And so the rest of the Old Testament things It's just the story of God's faithfulness to faithless people. And then we have the rise of David, the Davidic covenant made. You have a king that that really the the word for him would have been Messiah, right? That you've got a king that establishes light, that the nation see Israel becomes powerful, becomes a force, actually becomes a superpower in and of itself. And the people of God are in a good rhythm. They're actually submitting to God the beauty of human flourishing on display to the ancient world. And 500 times in the Old Testament that the nations will come to Zion, that the nations will be drawn to the hill of the Lord, that the nations will come. And this idea that what God is up to is global, is ingrained throughout the Old Testament. And then there's the arrival of Jesus and, and, and Jesus doesn't change things. He doubles down on this idea that the nations are the inheritance. That God's plan is not to save a, a people group, but rather all peoples and men and women from every people group in the world. And what is happening in this moment is that his disciples are still thinking too small. They, they still, they're, they're so kind of stuck in, in the broken way that they had learned it that, that they're saying, hey, now, now's the time. Uh, are, now, are you going to be like David? Are you going to be a king that overthrows Rome? And now all the nations are going to come to Jerusalem now? That was always their understanding that everybody was going to have to come to Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. So the radical shift that's about to happen is not that Jesus is going to say yes, but that rather, don't worry about that, that's set by my authority. Now let me tell you why that's a big deal. And let me tell you especially why that's a big deal to you and me. Because you and I, us... Like we're, we're a living portion of what's happening in this verse right now because they asked the question, hey, are you going to make everybody come to Jerusalem? Now, are you going to overthrow your enemies and now anybody who's actually going to be your people is going to come to the temple and worship God in this place? And he says this to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his authority. Now, let me tell you why this is such a huge passage. Uh, one, we're the fruit of it. It's not that 
everybody's coming to Jerusalem. It's that the borders of Jerusalem will expand to encompass the whole earth. I was not closer to God in Israel than I am right now. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. I am a temple of the creator God of the universe. And so are you if you're a Christian. Now, the, the Holy Land's incredible. But I'm not closer to God there. It's not like uh, that he can like, hear my prayers because I'm closer to his house. No, he dwells in us. And here's what's crazy. Like, um, Lauren and I go to the airport in Tel Aviv. There's a great American family there that thought it'd be a great idea to bring an unexploded mortar round to uh, the airport. They had visited the Golan Heights and were like, oh, this is unique. Let's bring this home. So we got to experience a few moments of terror there in the airport. But then it's a 11-hour flight from Tel Aviv to JFK going about 600 miles an hour. And, and then from there, you, you get on another plane and then you go 600 miles an hour again for three and a half hours down into DFW. That's a long way. And, and yet this is where I live. This is where I was saved. This is where the gospel found me. This is him saying it's fixed by the authority of the Father. It's not about everybody coming to Jerusalem. It's about it expanding to the ends of the earth and drawing to my heart men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth. It's a profound moment for, for me, right? He, he's saying, it's not what you think. It's bigger than what you think. And what I'm trying to tell you today is it's not what you think. It's bigger than you think. Like this is the only story there is, the gospel going out, ransoming, rescuing, and pulling to the heart of God, men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth. So, so this is his argument, right? This is, hey, is it now? Is now the time? I mean, I, I get the question. I'm looking around at the brokenness of the world. Do you want to establish the kingdom? Can we get that thing set up now? I see the hurt, the loss, the pain. I'm a pastor. There's never not hurt, pain, brokenness, loss, death, sickness here, ever. 20 years, never had a week that was like, hey, nobody's sick, nobody's hurting, nobody's dead, nobody's, it, it's, it's the fallenness of the world. I get it. Like, are you going to, can the kingdom just fullness right now? Is that, that idea of Maranatha, come Lord Jesus? Like, I get it. I get this question. I'm not judging these guys. And he says, it's fixed by the authority of God. It cannot fail. And this is why one of the things I'm trying to convince you is to invest in the rapidly expanding kingdom of God in every direction is the most guaranteed ROI you'll ever invest in. The, the energy, the money, the gifts and abilities that we'll pour into this mission is a guaranteed eternal global ROI that nothing else on earth can pay back. It's just bigger than we can fathom. And so he, he says to them, no, it's not time, but trust that, that the authority of God has said it. So it's spreading. It's going to radically spread in every direction. 2.3 billion Christians in the world right now. Like I get jazzed up about this. Man, listen, I have worshiped with men and women in Southern Sudan. They love Jesus. I mean, tears streaming out, communion, word of God preached. I have danced on stage with my wife in front of 10,000 Brazilians. There is no video of this. Doesn't mean it didn't happen, but 
Lauren and I got up there and just worshiped like that. And that was a fun way to get after it, right? They're, they're not um, whatever kind of Puritan reservation that exists in us was not there. And they were getting after it. I mean, like, like praise dancing. It was awesome. And I'm terrible at it. It was awesome. And man, I have been in a house church in China and worshiped in a different language. And we've done that in Rwanda and we've done it in the Middle East and we've done it like this is happening. It's been fixed by the authority of the father. It cannot be stopped. It won't be stopped. And anything that says it will be is propaganda. There is a graveyard of empires, not just in Afghanistan, but all those empires that sought to destroy us and eradicate us from the face of the earth, they are gone. We are here. This cannot be stopped. This is bigger than we think. And, and then he says to them, look, look at the next line there, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So you don't need to worry about uh, when the kingdom's fully visible. That's fixed by the authority of God. So you need to trust me in the mystery. Now, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, it's important for us to talk about this. Uh, the Holy Spirit, I think there are two things in view here. One, the Holy Spirit falls on us in power at our conversion and stays in us, sealed with the promise, and, and, and then the volume of the Spirit's power can be turned up according to the Spirit's desire or turned down because of some of our own foolishness. But you receive the Holy Spirit at conversion. Like if your eyes opened to the fact that Jesus is beautiful, that you're a sinner, that you need grace, that's the Holy Spirit coming on you in power. Like what in our current cultural moment will let you admit and confess that you're a sinner? You're not. It was your parents' fault. It's your coworkers' fault. It's your spouse's fault. It's your kids' fault. It's always somebody else's fault. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like, wherever you are, there you are, doc. I don't know if the Holy Spirit talks like that. That's how he talks to me. Right? Like to be convinced that I've fallen short of the glory of God, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. To love Jesus, not to know facts about him, to love him. Listen, like I love him. Do you love him? Like he's not like this kind of historical figure like Abraham Lincoln that I know about. Like I, I love Jesus. That, that was the Holy Spirit did that to me, right? He grabbed hold of me right for my 18th birthday and I've not been able to get over it. That's the power of the Spirit. I, I want to follow him in righteousness. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there are these moments where I'm in a conversation or I'm preparing to preach or I'm sitting down with a friend and all of a sudden that power is more pronounced than it normally is. Anybody else experience this? Like, have you ever been in the middle of a spiritual conversation with somebody like, Dad, gum, this is good. Where'd it come from? Anybody? would be like, shoot, I didn't even know I knew that. Hopefully it's true. No. Um, it, you, you did know it. You had heard it. You had studied it. You had read it. And it was in there. And the Holy Spirit caught it on fire. You all of a sudden get really courageous when you're normally nervous. All of a sudden, this is the, the dial being turned up. 
And, and that anointing of the Holy Spirit breaking loose. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit. This is internal power to love Jesus and hate sin. And this is external power to reveal the power of God in and around your life and surroundings. You will receive power, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, and then he moves from there. For what reason do we, are we given this power? Um, we're not given this power just for power's sake. We're given this power so that we would be his witness. Now, witness to what? I think that's a pretty important question. So there are a few things in view here when he says, you will be my witnesses, right? You're going to receive power. And when that power hits you, you're going to be my witnesses. And what were they witnesses to? Well, there's a few things they were witnesses to that, that are pretty significant. One is they were witnesses to the life of Jesus. Now, let me tell you why this is such a big deal. This is such a big deal because Jesus, his life is perfect moral righteousness that then will be imputed to us. Now that's huge. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. This is what the New Testament argues, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Do you know what God is like? Look to Jesus. What's God's tone towards those who are broken and afraid? Look to Jesus. You struggling with some significant screw-ups in your life? Look to Jesus. Doesn't he pick up the woman caught in adultery? Doesn't he pick up her face? Doesn't he say to her, does no one condemn you? Neither do I. Now go and sin no more. What does he say to Zacchaeus? What a despicable little man. What does he say? What does God say to the tax collector? The one who, who would empower an occupying force that's responsible for violence, theft, and rape everywhere in Israel. He says, come down, I'm eating at your house. What does he say to Matthew, the tax collector? Come and follow me. What does he say to hot-headed Peter? Come and I'll, I'll make you a fisher of men. You, you are Peter, you are the rock. On you, I will build my church. Right, is there, is there anybody as dumb and slow as Peter in the Bible? That woman knows her Bible. Did you hear her go, no, she knows her Bible. He's not like, like right after he says, you're the son of God, he rebukes Jesus. Who does that? Like how fast do you have to switch gears? You're co-eternal with the father. That's right, Peter. I must go to Jerusalem and die. No, you won't. Wait, huh? But these, these are God's people. Look at me. You're God's people. How, how can we be so sure? Because we watch Jesus. We see his life. We're witnesses to his life. We're witnesses to his death. They were witnesses to his death. Look, these men saw it. They, they saw it. They were terrified and they bailed. Right? Like they saw him die. If you ever get to go to the Holy Land, what struck me is how tiny it is. Like some of you live in, out in Argyle and your lot is about the size of Jerusalem. Like I'm telling you, you're just like, okay, that's where they flogged him. That's where they crucified him. That's where they buried him. That's where he prayed and sweat drops of blood. This is where they came. I mean, it's just like, it's all right there. Anybody been? It's crazy how small that thing is. Like it's just all right there. They saw 
him die brutally. They saw him beat to a pulp. They saw a spear run up under his rib cage, puncturing his lungs and into his heart. They saw the spear get ripped. They saw blood and guts and snot and sorrow spill out all over the ground. They saw him die. And that's important because I've got a lot of really ugly things in my heart. And I have no way of pain for those. I have sinned against a holy God and there's not enough good I can do to tip the scales in my favor because there are no scales. And so the death of Jesus is the evidence that he has moved towards us as sinners regardless of our story. Look at me. The death of Jesus on the cross is the evidence that God is serious about ransoming you and rescuing you from a life of sin. To rescue, to redeem, to renew, to transfer you out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. They were witnesses to his death. We are witnesses to his death. They are also witnesses to his resurrection. Like Paul's argument to first century Christians was not, trust me, he actually argues there were five hundred of us that saw him raised from the dead, although some have fallen asleep. He's arguing from the point of eyewitnesses. Like in what court of law does 500 eyewitnesses not guarantee that something's true? It's not blind faith to these men. They saw him. We are witnesses of the resurrection. If he was not raised, I am stuck in my sin. I'm not stuck in my sin. I hate it. I make war against it. And more often than not, I get some victory over it. Now it lingers and pops up here and there, but I, I have chosen violence against sin in me. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit purchased for me on the cross and secured in the resurrection. We're witnesses to this. Not only his life, not only his death, not only his resurrection, but also his teachings where Jesus says that after his ascension that the Holy Spirit would come. Remember, the Holy Spirit will bring power and remind you of the things that I have taught so that I become a witness, you become a witness. My whole life is about being a witness of his life, death, resurrection, and teaching. And that becomes what I am a witness to, what you are a witness to. You have in some way experienced all of those things. If you're a Christian, you have experienced all of those things. You've experienced the life of Jesus in his imputed righteousness to you. You have experienced the death of Jesus in the death of your uh, slavery to sin. And you have experienced the resurrection of Jesus in the fullness of life that has been afforded to you by the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And the teachings of Jesus are given to us in the book and are embraced and rejoiced in by the people of God. Now, with that said, where exactly are we going to be these witnesses? Man, I'm glad you asked. That's actually the next part of the passage. I was hoping you'd ask a different question. So where are we going to be witnesses? See, here's the first one, Jerusalem. Um, this is not saying that you and I need to board a plane and head to Jerusalem to be witnesses. Unless you're called there, 
There, there are Christians that are called there. There, there. there are Christians there right now, Messianic Jewish Christians that are, that are um, preaching and teaching and disciple-making in, in a very strange and difficult part of the world to plant churches that are serious about the reign and rule of Jesus. So maybe you're called to Jerusalem, but this is not a call for all of us to board the plane and head to Jerusalem. He's talking to these men about where they live. You tracking with me on this? They're like, you're going to be my witnesses. Where? Where you are. You're going to be my witnesses where I have placed you. So these men are in Jerusalem. So think of this as your neighborhood. Where are you a witness? In your neighborhood. Where are you a witness? At your workplace. Where are you a witness? Where do you play? You a witness? Where do you get your cup of coffee? You a witness? Where are you around town? You will be my witnesses to what? Life, death, resurrection, and teaching. Where? Where you are. In your neighborhood. I'm trying to argue with you that you should never be bored. That everything in your life holds an eternal and global purpose if you could ever see it that way. This is bigger than Sunday and it's bigger than moral goodness. It's not that those two aren't pieces. It's that the mission of God isn't moral goodness. It's the salvation of men and women from sin and death and the worship of his name. His glory and our joy is what's in view here. And he has uniquely wired you and uniquely placed you as his witnesses. But it's not just Jerusalem. It's also Judea. And that's just another clip down the road. And so it's not just your neighborhood, but it's in any of those places that, that you might go and you might find yourself. So you could say, maybe this is, if uh, Jerusalem is our immediate area, maybe uh, Samaria or Judea is the metroplex? Like how could we um, be witnesses in the metroplex? How do we engage in this city that we're in? And then it goes to Samaria. Now Samaria gets a little iffy, right? Now we've got, we're crossing ethnic lines now. We're, we're crossing some socioeconomic lines. We're, we're crossing all kinds. And, and then to the ends of the earth. Now, if you write in your Bible, and I would encourage you to, it's not authoritative when you write, just for the record. But um, I, I love that this, and here's where I think we can get it wrong because we tend to think in a linear fashion. But what he just said is, you will be my witnesses, right, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Not then and. This isn't, hey, do a great job in your neighborhood and then we'll move on. And if you do a good job in your metroplex, then we'll move on. If you do a good job in your country, then that's not how this works. It's a call to orient our lives around the mission of God to seek and save the lost and to establish justice and righteousness to the ends of the earth. And this is what you've been called into. Listen, I don't, this is the, this is what you're, this is the point of life. You want to talk to me about the purpose of your job? I'm telling you it's this. You want to talk to me about the purpose of your family? Here it is. Purpose of your money, right here. And I ain't taking an offering today. Why you've been gifted and wired the way you have, this right here. Why, why you're drawn to this leisurely activity, this right here. Well, why you didn't get this house, but you got that house, this right here. That this is it. This is the only story there is. Now you can deviate from this story and even then you're actually stuck in the story. This is what 
God's doing. So, so what, what should we do? Let me lay a couple of things before you. If this is what God is up to, and this is the only story there is, then we can go, we can send, or we can be disobedient, but there's not really a third play. So we can go. And, and by go, and, and here's where we start today, you go to Jerusalem. You go home today. You start to see your neighborhood as the place that God has placed you. You, you begin to prayer walk your neighborhood. You begin to invite neighbors into your house for meals and you share what Jesus has done in your life. It's not you judging them. It's you sharing what Christ has done in you. You begin to build deep, meaningful relationships with coworkers. It means you look at your CrossFit class or your whatever you do class and, and you're seeing it through the lens of I have been placed here as a witness to the life, death, resurrection and teaching of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to I'm going to own that great adventure and step into it. And and maybe for you, because you're just like not quite sure how all this works, you, you sign up for one of the classes that, that we teach on this. How do you share the gospel? How do you embrace the very purpose of your existence? How do you walk in this faithfully? Or listen, I, I think all of you should sign up eventually and get out of this country and watch what God's doing around the world. I, if you have not sung to Jesus in a language you don't understand yet and in a style of worship that, that's stranger for you, then, then I just think you haven't seen the full scope of God's power and might. Like, it's just unbelievable. And, and we set it up for you. you. You should just sign up for a trip and go. And then when you have opportunity to fund those who have a clear call to go to the hard places and do the hard things, then then you give sacrificially to that end. Reorient your mindset around the purpose of life, the purpose of your home, the purpose of your job, the purpose of your money. This is what God is doing. Only thing that won't fail. Why? Because by his authority, he's fixed it. And God, how, how privileged are we? <laughs> Like I said, we're a long way from Jerusalem. How did it get here? How did Jeff Faircloth get to me? Who got to Jeff Faircloth? Who got to his parents? Who got to his grandparents? Who, who, who got to, like, how did, how, did he, how did the hound of heaven haunt me and grab me? A long line of just everyday people being faithful where they were. And some going. And so it's our turn. So, so let's run our race. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these men and women. I thank you that you, and you, you just came after us. And all over the place right now, there are men and women not aware of you. They don't hate sin. They might be frustrated at how certain things have played out, but they don't hate their own sin. They're not aware of your beauty and grace. And yet in your mercy, you have opened our eyes to see and believe that outside of our purview, outside of our knowledge, there were those who risked their lives and they spent their money and they got on ships and they um, risked dangerous journeys simply so that the gospel would continue to move forward. And so we're in this room today as trophies of your grace purchased by the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of the saints before us. 
And so in this moment where the gospel is just making headway all over the world, let us be found faithful to participate in the great adventure. We just so easily get sucked into making Christianity about us. Forgive us for our navel-gazing. Thank you for this great salvation upon which you've saved us. Now, orient our hearts around your great mission. Orient our church to this end. I thank you that right now, there's a man who's never heard of your name, speaking a language nobody in this room knows, who will in time hear that Christ has made a way and will worship with us for eternity because of the sacrifices, prayers, and obedience of the men and women in this room. So I thank you. I thank you that by the authority of God Almighty, the kingdom being visible, covering the earth as the water covers the seas are guaranteed. Help us. We love you. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.